Live from our super secret studios above Jacques' flower shop, this is Gerard at Large. Yeah, baby! Good morning, Manchester. Live and local. News, sports, politics, traffic, and weather. Rich isn't afraid to tackle the tough questions. Who told you you can eat my cookies? You talking to me? Yeah, I hear you. You had a question for me. It's all here on the Gerard at Large radio program. Hello? I'm sorry, who'd you say you were? I am your host, Rich Gerard. Thanks for tuning in. <laughs> Here's Richard. I fear not, everyone. Richard's not Richard. I don't even know where he is today, as a matter of fact. He got a hold of me last week. And uh, I'm assuming my audio's not modulating too much. Um, but I'm assuming he must be taking the day off like the rest of the universe. Me, I'm working today. This is your humble host. Sitting in for the illustrious Rich Gerard on Gerard at Lodge. This is Jeff Zarnick, affectionately known by many as Dr. C, because my last name with a C and a Z, when you put it together, gives people carpal tunnel syndrome for their tongue. I've been sued twice for that. Did you know that when they try to pronounce my name? But it does fool all the bill collectors. But you know what? We are here. This is Dr. C ringing in 606 here on, uh, wow, it's so... It was, <laughs> Getting up in the dark and driving in the dark, it just doesn't make sense for my biorhythmic cycle. Today being is uh, October 9, and it is Columbus Day. And with that said, we will probably take a look at some of the hidden gems of stories about Columbus, Christopher Columbus, and as a an old curmudgeon, having been raised on a variety of different, let's just say, uh, you know, tutorials or lessons about who Christopher Columbus was. We'll take a look at him later on to see what the real deal was, you know, uh, because there's a lot of scuttle. Uh, he's uh, much, guy's in his grave, right, but <laughs> much maligned, right, and accused of a number of different heinous activities. So let me see what we can do. We'll pull up some of the news today, see what's going on. Nonetheless, it has been a very busy week. Uh, a very, very difficult week for the United States. And uh, I tell you, if we are not, we're not a stressed uh, country. I don't know what it is. You know, we, you look to your right and you've got that maniac with the head shaped like a distorted pumpkin out there in North Korea, you know, seeking world stage validation. I think for him, the only thing he's trying to do is just say, I am for real and you must take me seriously. And I, unfortunately, we have to. But it looks to me like the Chinese may be uh, finally coming to the table to hold this man accountable and tell him to stand down a little bit and knock it off uh, with his uh, nuclear shenanigans. But I don't know if he's going to listen to him or not. I really don't. And uh, I mean, there's so many different directions we can go to this morning. So why don't we take a look at some of the stuff that's been going on as food for thought and fodder here at 607 in Gerardo Lodge. This is Dr. Singh uh, sitting in for... We've got a really good show today. We've got some really cool stuff coming. We've got, uh, we're going to be talking about First Amendment stuff. We're going to be talking about all kinds of stuff. We've got uh, James Myers, Vice President of Learning Science for Southern New Hampshire University, COZ. And just a shout out and a plug for the great school, Southern New Hampshire University, where I am employed as Associate Dean of Faculty, Criminal Justice and the Social Sciences for the College of Online and Continuing Ed, which is translated to online education. We're pushing 100,000 students right now with our wonderful online program. And James Myers is Vice President of the Learning Science Division, and he has an entire team devoted to 
Uh, well, just that, learning science. But I think a lot of people may not be exactly familiar with what, what does that mean, and we'll talk about that, especially if you're a parent raising children and you want them to learn effectively and efficiently what's going on behind the scenes. But here's something uh, in terms of the national anthem, right? Jerry Jones, the owner of the Cowboys, he gave his players an ultimatum. You stand for the national anthem or sit for the game. Now, there's a guy who took the proverbial bull by the short hairs. And uh, take a look at that. Pence walked out on a game because you had a bunch of people politicizing it. Yeah, but uh, Pence was politicizing it. Who is that? Who is? Yeah, my, my headphones are weak. So it sounds like I'm listening to a radio from World War II out there in the Pacific. <laughs> Mama bear, papa bear. 609 here in Gerardo Lodge. We're going to try to fix the headphones, but in the interim, Dallas Cowboys owner Jerry Jones said Sunday, yesterday, any player who disrespects the flag will not play. Jones's comments, the strongest made on the anthem controversy, came after he was asked about Vice President Mike Pence. Well, he left the game. In Indianapolis earlier, after several San Francisco 49 players took a knee during the national anthem, I am still waiting to find out what it is taking a knee is supposed to solve. I'm really not sure. And I think the core or the focus of this particular knee debate or why they take a knee is the, uh, the umbrage, the exception that these football players are taking in relationship to how minorities are treated mistreated, profiled, or otherwise by the police in this country. Now, as a retired police officer, I can I can understand that. You know, I can understand the profiling issue, and I can understand both sides of the coin quite clearly. My history goes back to 1979 when I was hired by the city of Manchester Police Department, and I came on the job with the first African-American police officer in the history of the city of the Manchester Police Department. His name was Clifton Moore, who has, I believe, he's now retired from the U.S. Marshal Service. We were both Anselmian. We both interned with the police department. We both got on the job there. And he's just a great, great guy. So he and I, during the course of that time, I had moved up from New York, although my roots are here in Manchester, i.e. my great-grandfather and grandmothers on both sides of the coin came over from Poland and then from uh, Scotland, Ireland, England, uh, yeah, respectively, to work here in the great city of Vegas. Long story short, I always loved it up here, always came up here for the holidays to visit family, but st- stayed after college to take the job with my good friend Cliff Moore, who was also a nationally recognized soccer player at St. Elsa. And uh, so we needed a place to stay. Could have stayed with my grandma over there in the just over the line, the Pines in Bedford, but I chose to hang with my friend Cliff so he wouldn't be alone, and we stayed at the <laughs> the five-star accommodations at the time, the YMCA in Mechanic Street. That was thoroughly depressing, but you know what? We were just starting out in life at 22 years old, and what the heck, right? What's a, what's a room the size of a closet? <laughs> so we got on the job, and now we're looking for an apartment. This is, uh, now this is... October, late October, 1979. I came from York, and I was came from a fully integrated high school. Cliff had moved up from Rhode Island, same thing. And uh, I'm sure there was racism, subtle or otherwise, when I grew up back home. Uh, I didn't really see it, though. You know, let me take, the, oh, he's going to take my picture. 
I didn't do it, Your Honor. No, it was a guy who looked just like me, and he ran that way. <laughs> so anyway, we were looking for an apartment. So I started to digress, but this is historically true. And I think, you know, God will put you in certain situations that will teach you whether you realize it or not. And he taught me quite well because I, complete, I became quite sensitized to the, to, to the issue that my good friend Cliff faced when we're trying to find an apartment. Because I said, Cliff, I'm not staying another night, man. After five nights <laughs> at the YMCA where we'd get up early in the morning to head over to the PD for our in-house training, we were looking for, you know, just absolutely desperate to find an apartment. I mean, I, th- I think a tent on wheels would have been good at that point in time. Not to denigrate the wonderful YMCA. It was a little different back then. But anyway, so we looked in the paper, apartment for rent, that we would truck over to the local payphone. Remember those? No, you probably don't. <laughs> but the local payphone, we call. Hey, we're, we need an apartment. Is it ready? Sure, come on over. And we would go over to the apartment, meet the landlord at the door, and for two weeks, we couldn't find an apartment. First landlord, no, I'm sorry, it's rented. I just called. Yeah, I know you missed it. Second apartment, same thing, third, fourth, fifth. They were slamming the doors in our face. This is plural. And I couldn't figure out why. I was numb, dumb, and naive, I suppose. And I really said, I couldn't understand it. It's 1979. Am I missing something? And Cliff said, dude. And he pointed to his face. And I said, what, acne what? He says, no. I said, then it finally dawned on my marble head that we were not getting an apartment because Cliff was black. Also, it was some locker room issues that really drove me up a wall as well. It wasn't, it wasn't unusual to hear the N-word in the locker room at the time. And at the time, there's the, uh, all this land up behind the Kimball Street housing development class slash projects that had been called the N-word field. Okay, which they eventually changed to what they they now call Black Acres. Big change, the big change, right? But they would call that the N word on the radio back then. You know, check out a burning car in Enfield, right? Or the N, whatever. Anyway, you get the picture. Sorry, I do remember that clear, clear as a bell. Even when we went to calls, now this is a black police officer in uniform. We go to calls together, or we'd arrive on the scene at the same time, talk to whoever needed to be talked to or whatnot, and uh, I do recall when people say, I'll talk to you, but I'm not talking to that N. You know, and that's at the time we'd step aside and say, Cliff, he's all yours. Uh, Cliff is a dear friend of mine, but I saw what he went through and how with tremendous dignity dignity that I could never even just think about holding. That man held his ground with dignity, pride, common sense, and tremendous character. He stayed here about four, four and a half years and was hired by the United States Marshal Service where he thrived and did quite well for himself. And shout out to him, great guy. Because that was a lesson that I needed to hear and I needed to see. And so we circle back. And with all the 
calamitous debacles, all the, the bad decisions that had been made that make national news. Well, you know, police officers are shooting, guys running away, shooting them in the back, whatnot. Good, bad, or ugly, it's ugly all the way down the line. The other part is people, I don't think, understand what subtle racism is and how they can make someone feel. When a mother, a member of the, say, the majority class, or whatever you want to call it, the majority race, sees a person of color and shuttles her kids across the street or walking into a store and knowing that you're being followed around by the loss prevention specialist because of your skin color. Some of these things may never manifest themselves in an action or activity or stop or an arrest or whatever. But how would you feel if because of that, because of your skin color, you were treated differently? And I'm sure many people don't really, really understand that. If you can't, if you're, if you are not a person of color, you can't. You can empathize, you can sensitize, you can be sensitive to it, and you can most definitively support it. But understand that it goes on out there, and understand that if you, you are stopped, you know, are you being stopped for an infraction that may not have resulted in a stop if you were somebody else with a different skin tone? Okay, so it's difficult. Now, on the other side of the coin. Police officers do have a very, very difficult job. Very difficult job. Because they're asked, we're asked to do a lot of things that fall under the umbrella of preventive medicine, right? Preventive patrol, which means you need to stop and talk to people. And most of those people you'll stop and talk to will be in areas where there have been complaints and the people are up in arms where it's dangerous and they're living in fear. So you look to stop the people. You look to stop people, interfere with their moments of time and find out what they're doing you know augment that with or couple it with maybe some emotive dress that is assumed by the majority of people that are out there doing bad things very difficult it's like having two tigers and you're hired to be the watchman in the village they got two tigers one of those tigers is eating people alive but they're both tigers the other tiger had lost all his teeth by chewing on a bone can't bite anybody anymore but they both look like tigers and the village elders say we want you to go take care of the tiger that's killing so well, which one is it i don't know so you stop both tigers. One has teeth, one doesn't. But the one with no teeth is going to be a little upset. Say, hey, listen, I'm not biting anybody. Yeah, I look like the other tigers, but I'm not biting anybody. Kind of see that kind of a dumb analogy, I suppose, in some respects. But the thing is, we do ask our police officers to stop people. We do ask them to stop people in areas that are of primary concern relative to a variety of complaints or issues or crimes or arrests. And if you're in that particular area... You know, you could probably guess that if you are dressed like a gangbanger, which is nothing wrong, you know, there's no law against it, but if you're dressed like a tiger and you're in that area and tigers have been biting people, you're going to probably going to either then spoke to, stopped, or, or, or scrutinized. So it's a very difficult thing in this country to be a police officer while policing a free society. Very difficult. But, you know, the things, the bad things do happen. They don't happen a lot. It's, it's, it's relatively minor, if you think about it statistically, but it does happen. But is football, the National Football League, is it the proper platform to try to call attention to this that actually is going to impact change? I don't know. I don't think so. I don't think this is where you really impact change. 
I think you, it creates other agendas that will lay it on the table, creates debates, and the media is certainly happy about it because it the circus continues.